Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today, we'll be learning about overcoming anxiety, controlling panic attacks, and touch on suicide prevention, how we can make a change in our communities, and more with our very special guest, Miss Alexandra Thompson. Alexandra is on a mission to see every church in America become equipped with counseling centers and more to provide more knowledge and resources to help those struggling with their mental health. No matter the amount of money they make or what they are struggling with, she believes that there is a mission at stake with her life that she just wants to see counseling centers in all the churches. And I strongly believe in that. I think it's so needed and I commend her for that. She believes that our mental health is the foundation of how we view ourselves and the world around us, including how we relate to God. And without further ado, here is Alex Thompson. Alex, how are you? Hi, I'm I'm doing very well. I'm so glad to be on this podcast with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, totally. So we're in the middle of a pandemic or at the tail end of it, so we think, but we're both from Georgia, so we know everything yeah. got open a pretty good minute early. How has the yeah. pandemic been treating you? <laughs> Um, I'm glad that we're both in Georgia so we can kind of link arms there. My goodness, we opened so early. Um, you know, the pandemic, it has really screwed up a lot of lives. It's been really, really hard for a lot of people. And being in the the field of mental health care, I've heard a lot of that um, and been, you know, linking arms with uh, people who are going through that, who lives are what we're going through with COVID. But for me and my husband, my gosh, um, he works for Home Depot corporate. Mm -hmm. I work, I, you know, run a little counseling center that's three minutes from my house. So we have done everything from inside our house, including full-time parenting our one and a half year old son. And for us, it has actually been a huge challenge, but it has been like the best thing ever because we get to see each other all day long yeah. and just kind of back and forth coordinate with our son. It's been really actually very, very sweet. No, that's awesome. And you and your husband have huge hearts for adoption and you yeah. actually adopted your son Anders when he was five days old. Tell us about that. What's the story behind like you're a heavily involved in adoption advocacy. Yeah. Um, what started that for you? Oh my goodness. Well, um, right out of grad school, actually my first like career job was in international adoptions. Mm. Um, and that was the first time that I really thought this is exactly how it should be. This seems really natural. Um, and this is something that I think my husband and I could do and have be a part of our family. I went from international adoptions to domestic adoptions and then was a counselor with birth mothers. Um, and my husband and I, we moved to New York. We lived in New York City for a while, just kind of young and, you know, not having any responsibilities, decided to to explore what that was like and uh, moved back right around the time that we started trying to get pregnant because we were, you know, 28 years old, you know, it was a good time. And it turns out that I, for some reason, can't get pregnant. Um, so we've had this like part of our family that always thought adoption might be a part of it. And then we have this part where we just couldn't get pregnant and we so see ourselves as parents and having lots of children, you know, at some point. So the infertility struggle just kind of pushed that forward really fast. Um, it was not fast. It's slow and heartbreaking, the whole process. But um, so we had this like longing maybe for adoption and then infertility was like, now you're doing it now. <laughs> and uh, 
yeah, we met. We had 24 hours to decide about him. I had a vision. I thought that we were going to be placed with a dark-skinned baby girl. I just really thought that it would be a dark-skinned baby girl. I had dreams. You know, we researched and learned everything we could about transracial adoption, Mm. being really aware of all that, uh, how to do that really well. Um, And then we were the only situation that we were given to think about was for a white baby boy um, born exposed to drugs in utero um, Mm. who was going to have to be in the NICU for several weeks to wean off. Um, And oh, by the way, you have 24 hours to decide if this is something you're wanting to consider. Slapped us in the face, a bag of bricks slapped us in the face. Um, And we just knew that was our son. And it has been an absolute incredible journey. And he is just the smartest, most determined, most beautiful baby. He's just everything. No, that's awesome. So your son's a big part of you and your husband's life. And um, you specialize in mental health. With that being said, we mentioned earlier that you started a counseling center within your church home. What have you seen within the church while you've been there? How has it been beneficial to your home church to have that counseling center based directly in their doors? Oh, boy. Well, um, maybe I'll tell you a little story. Sure. Um, so I, the reason I started this counseling center is because at the time I was working in a job where all I was really doing was diagnosing people, um, which made me really good at diagnosing people, but I wasn't really doing my heart's work, which, Mm. which is counseling. And so we had just moved back from New York at this time. So this was a new church and they really didn't know me very well at all at that time. But I reached out to them and I said, I am, I'm a mental health therapist Um, And I'm not really doing that right now. And I feel like I need to be doing that. Is it possible that I could volunteer for you in some capacity? Do you have people that maybe you've been working with sort of in a pastoral care kind of situation um, who you're struggling with or who you're not seeing them really break through or or go anywhere? Um, Could I sort of, you know, for lack of a better way of putting this, could I take them off your hands and provide my services on a volunteer basis? And they were like, holy crap, yeah. (laughs) And gave me, you know, several clients. I put together an intake form and an informed consent form and just started meeting with clients at a table, like absolutely just a a naked table, two chairs and a table for free. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, one of the first clients I had uh, was a married couple and they were struggling so badly in their marriage that it was causing the wife to have stress-induced strokes. So they were in they were just in a horrible situation yeah. all around. Um there was a struggle with identity. It was pretty pretty heavy on the marriage. And I remember passing the pastor in a doorway. I was coming in at the end of the day to meet with clients. He was leaving at the end of his workday. And he kind of stopped me like grabbed my wrist. And he said, I just want you to know that I spoke to John. John, I'll call him John. That's not his name. Mm -hmm. Um, I talked to John on the phone yesterday, Alex, he told me that you saved his life. And I think it was in that incredible moment. I know that I didn't save his life. That was the spirit, right? Sure. But in that incredible moment, I think that was a powerful display of how absolutely pertinent, um, It is that we, as the church, set aside space for mental health professionals 
to be able to come in and meet people right where they're at, not necessarily like, you know, just kind of throw scripture at them or uh, tell them to get involved in a community group, but somebody who's trained in the mind and trained in the emotions. Um, Because this person who at the time was suicidal because of what he was struggling with meeting just for a few sessions, um, he believed that he could contribute that to why his life was saved and why he Mm. decided that he didn't need to take his life. Yeah. And it's like uh, earlier this week, I got news that a close um, friend of mine's, one of their best friends took their life Mm. and it was so heavy. And like, what, what advice do you have for someone that's struggling with like, they just lost someone to suicide or maybe they're struggling Mm. their self. Um, Mm -hmm. What, if you were in their position, what words would you want to hear? If I was somebody who lost a loved one to suicide, um, I think I would need to hear putting myself in that situation that it truly and deeply wasn't my fault, Mm. that it truly and deeply wasn't their fault, Mm. Um, that they, you know, something I say, which gets a little muddled, I think sometimes is depression, mental illness, suicidal, suicidality and taking your life to suicide, that that's an illness. Mm. It's not, uh, it's not a sign of health. It's a sign of, of illness, of sickness. Right. And if we were going through any other kind of illness, we would have a fever. Like we'd probably, uh, know that something was wrong on the inside of our body because we would see that we had a fever and we would treat whatever it is that's going on inside of our body. We might have to go to a doctor to figure out what that is. Um, but that fever is kind of the first indicator that my goodness, I might have an infection. I might, there might some, might be something really wrong. Sure. And so something that I say, and this is the muddled part, um, is that if you, if you are experiencing suicidal thoughts where you're getting your affairs in order or you're writing letters or saying goodbye, you're coming up with a plan and a means for how to carry out that plan. That's a fever guys. Like that's not your, that's not a sign that you're in a right state of mind. That's a sign that you're sick and you need to go to the doctor. Um, Just like any other sickness, that's your fever. You need to pay attention to it. So I think I would need to hear you know, he or she was sick. It wasn't out of, it was out of your control. There's nothing you could have done differently. It's not your fault. And I see you and I love you. And if you want me to just come sit with you and we don't even have to talk about it, let me come and sit with you and do your dishes, you know, while we grieve together. And, um, where did your journey with mental health start? Well, um, my family was a little bit messy Mm. and, you know, something that I'll, that I say often is growing up in my family, it sort of felt like I was growing up with bombs going off all the time. There wasn't any physical or otherwise abuse, um, but it was really loud and chaotic and sometimes pretty scary for one reason or another. Um, and from a very young age, I was that member of the family whose role was to kind of be the counselor, to be the shoulder that people cried on particularly my mom, you know, she'd come into my room and, um, ask what she should do and things like that. So I kind of just very early on saw myself in that position. Um, and it was, uh, entering college. It was right at the beginning of college. I was interested in studying all kinds of other things. And I realized that, and I had just become a Christian then too. And I realized that all these other things that I could do 
could be really fun, but I don't think that's like how I've been designed to live my career life. I have absolutely been designed to sit with people and walk alongside people when they're hurting. That's where that began for me. It was definitely in my childhood. That's awesome. And would you consider your childhood like a a normal childhood? Did you have a normal home life or was there like a turning point for you? It's like, this isn't normal, but I'm okay with it. Um, Oh, what a great question. Yeah. Yeah. I would say um, to a certain extent, my childhood was normal and to a certain extent it was not. Um, We didn't really have cohesiveness in our family. We didn't, um, like someone on the outside looking in who kind of were, if they were looking like through a glass window or something and really seeing what was going on, it kind of looked like none of us really liked each other. It was that kind of thing. We didn't really spend time together. Um, It was just stressful and chaotic and like war all the time. And that's the part that is not normal. That's not a normal childhood. Um, But we also had a lot of love. Like my mom is one of the, the most nurturing would literally give you something off her back. If you, if you wanted it or needed it, she's a caretaker for her community. Like she's, she's extremely nurturing, extremely loving. And my dad is extremely go getter. Like you need to set your sights big, you know, set your sights big and be ambitious and go get it because you can, and that's who you are, you know? Mm. Um, and I think some of that is normal, but yeah, it was a little bit more of a chaotic childhood, I think, than normal. And I can almost relate with that down to the T. Um, mm. I grew up with three brothers and two of them, Josh and Travis, God bless them. They, they were always <laughs> fighting and it wasn't like they were always mad at each other, but it was like yeah. always going back and forth and um, mm. they were all athletic and always wrestling or football, baseball, whatever they were doing in that season. Like it was, it was like a war zone. Like it was fun to watch. It was like free WWE without a subscription. But (laughs) then, um, my mom was very nurturing, very loving. She would give the shirt off her back, love her so much. And Mm. my dad is very go-getter. He's a entrepreneur. He's awesome. Um, I always felt like I had to earn his approval because I wasn't the athletic one. Um, so I wrestled one year and I was like, this is not for me. I don't like people touching me. Like, get off, like not into it. So I quit wrestling and I instantly felt like I was outcasted, which now I know it's not true, but Mm. you know, I had to go prove myself. So I worked out at an Olympic powerlifting gym for a year to win two national championships for bench press and deadlift for my weight class. I hated every second of it. I did. (laughs) I hated it, but I had to earn dad's approval. That was something that I'd always struggle with. And once I broke up with that mindset, Mm -hmm. I had this weight lifted off my shoulders. Like I don't have to make anybody happy. Like I'm going to live my life. And when that happened, I developed panic disorder. Because yeah. all that weight was just suddenly taken off and Trevor didn't have a care in the world, but he had to have something going on. So my right. brain would race. And yeah. um, I started struggling with panic attacks, anxiety, and it took me away from my calling, which was touring, evangelizing, um, being in the music uh, industry in the Christian market. Yeah. I went from touring and everything to being at home, like living a normal, like my senior year, half of it was gone and then once that panic disorder hit, like I was home and it, I had to work through that. It took two years right. for me to accept that I had an issue and to go get 
therapy and counseling and actually learn to overcome that. Yeah. Um, which 2018, um, March of 2018 is when I actually decided to like, okay, we're going to, we're going to work through this. I've got to, I can't work for AT&T corporate anymore. Can't do that. Like sales is great. Good at it. Makes me good money, but I'm just not happy. So right. I had to pursue that and just realize that I'm made for more. And I believe everyone to a certain extent is made for more and nobody's calling is more important, important than anyone else's, but mm-hmm. we're all made uniquely. And with all that being said, for you, you believe that providing mental health care should be a regular component to church ministry. Yeah, I do. That's very, very different. I had a friend, um, we lost a suicide last year. His name was Jared Wilson. He um, had a nonprofit called Anthem of Hope, beautiful family, had the job that everyone thought that's what he wanted. And, um, you know, it was just one of those things where I, I didn't think to ever check up on him about, are you struggling with suicide? We talk about anxiety and depression and building up on the Anthem of Hope ministry. Um, but we never really had that talk of like, are you struggling with suicidal thoughts or anything? That just never crossed my mind. And after we lost Jared, one thing that I realized now is like, okay, um, one of my rock heroes, Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park took his life. Uh, We lost Mm -hmm. Jared. Now, like if I have contact with someone that I think for the slightest instance might be suicidal, Mm -hmm. I reach out. I'm like, I didn't have this opportunity. I'm point blank, did not have this opportunity with Chester Bennington because he was mega famous, didn't didn't think to do this with Jared. I'm not going to hold myself like, I'm not blaming myself for any of it, but like, I, I want to make sure you're okay and you know that you have someone that will listen and that will talk to you and be there for you. And I think it's going to take a lot of that in the church to get to this Literally. point of normalizing like, okay, everybody struggles with the mental health. Like you said, if you've got a fever, if you're struggling with COVID-19 symptoms, go to the doctor. <laughs> um, right. You're having abnormal thoughts about taking your own life that's a fever i love that you said that i've never heard it said like that like you've got a fever you need to get it checked out and medicine is not the devil right amen anxiety and depression antidepressants are not of satan it wasn't it wasn't something that was birthed out of a serpent that came out of the toilet like a snake coming through your pipes no like (sighs) correct God gave us this to where we can live a normal life if you need it. That's um, right. Some people have chemical imbalances. They can't help mm-hmm. it. They just need mm-hmm. that extra um, boost to get them through the day and to where they could think normally and not be thinking about crazy things all the time. Like this plane is going to go down. Terrace is on here. Like just having mm-hmm. random panic attacks all the right, time. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing to worry about. So with it being a part of the church, I'm 100% behind that, but I do want to ask you what sparked that passion inside of you? When did you think like, okay, the church needs this and I'm going to make it happen. What was that moment for you? First of all, thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, those stories are powerful and hearing you talk about prescription medication like that, it's so important to destigmatize that because just like there's no stigma around taking aspirin or Advil when you have a headache or a migraine, you know, there's no stigma around chemotherapy if you have cancer Mm -hmm. or insulin, if you have diabetes, right? Sure. 
Uh, and that's the kind of destigmatizing that we want to also do with mental health. We have one health. We have one body. We don't have physical and mental and all these other things. We have one body and it's important that we take care of the whole thing. Mm. Um, so just wanted to like speak to that a bit. And also thank you for sharing your story with yeah, me. Yeah. Thanks for bit. listening. Yeah, of course. Um, so where did that start? Honestly, I think when I was in grad school, I knew that I knew then that what I wanted to do was own a private practice. Um, I just did. I have that dad side of me. That's a little entrepreneurial. Um, I wanted to start something. I love driving things. Um, but then there's that other side of side of me. That's very tender, very, um, willing and interested in walking alongside people in their darkest moments. I think Mm. that's just how I'm wired. So those two things kind of came together very, very well for me. But honestly, it wasn't until when I was at Emory as a diagnostician, Trevor, Mm. um, it was some of the most uncomfortable months in a career I've ever had because I was only there about a year. I hated it. I hated it. And I loved like what we were doing and what we were studying, but I hated the environment because it was so, it just felt kind of nasty. Like it wasn't caring and, and kind and gentle. Like these people that we were, I was working in a research study. We were calling them subjects, you know, like it just didn't feel good at all. I didn't Mm. like it. Um, so really I've reached out to my church in an act of like, I've got to get something else into my life that feels like it's singing to my heart a bit with what I'm gifted and uh, trained to do. And also part of my giftedness is like needing to serve others too. Yeah. Right? That's, you know, I, I need get that, that 100%. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But uh, honestly, it wasn't until I took this huge leap and the church took a huge risk on me because at the time I got a text message from one of the pastors. I figured out later, actually, Trevor, that he was texting me because we, our church and I didn't know them, but our church had just lost a father to suicide. Mm. And so he was reaching out to me because he was wondering if I could come in and do like a class for the youth group on how to like take care of kids and how to just be there when they've lost their father to suicide. Yeah. Um, but when he texted me, he texted and he said, Hey, when you get a minute, can you call me? And I said, absolutely. Does this have anything to do with you wanting me to put a clinical counseling center in your church? <laughs> like just total <laughs> leap. You know? Absolutely. They were not asking about that, but I just took a leap and he, he kind of met me there and was like, no, that's not what I was calling about or asking about, but why don't we talk about that? So Eight months later, after like investigating and, you know, getting to know me a little bit better, um, they brought me on and it probably, well, I guess it was when I was volunteering. That wasn't the eight months. I was volunteering for about eight months, but it was when it was like in that moment with the pastor that I mentioned before, when he said that John said that I saved his life. It was that moment. I think that I was like, this is so important. And the fact that we're not doing it and the fact that some churches are still scared of it or are still so shaming of it or talk about it from the pulpit as if, if you go to a counselor, then you're not really, your faith is not all there or you're not really leaning into what scripture says about being anxious for nothing, you know? Mm. Um, So it was that moment when I was like, holy crap, this is really powerful and important. We got to do it. And then it was, you know, two to three years into it that I started to have these thoughts of like, we're doing this and we're doing it really freaking efficiently. Yeah. 
and simply, and, and it went from a team of me to now a team of four. And in less than four years, we've met with over 500 people. And if it was just me, there's no way I could have met with that many people or have had the community impact that I did. It was with this structure of bringing in an actual like clinical counseling center into the church that allowed us to have so much reach. Mm. And I guess what I'm saying there is sometimes churches will hire like one licensed counselor for the staff. Um, But what tends to happen is that licensed counselor just kind of turns into a referral service where they Mm. meet with you a couple of times but then they just refer you out. Yeah. And so my whole thing is like, if you, if you hire one person, you can actually like with this structure, and I'm sure I'll talk about it later. Like I can give you an entire counseling center and we should be doing it. And I I think that we should be the best at it. It's not just that we should dip our toes in it. I think as the church carrying the gospel, we should be the freaking best at taking care of people's mental health. It's our foundation for how we view everything in the world. No, and that's awesome. I think it's, or I know it's so needed. Um, yeah. You keep talking about this structure. Are you going to put out like an e-course on something to help <laughs> people do this? Because I'm like, at this point, <laughs> yes, like I'm invested in, if I was on Shark Tank and take my money, whatever, like Ugh. it's an excellent idea. And yeah. I haven't heard anybody else say that. And a few weeks ago, before we even connected on Instagram, it was like, I I was thinking like why are there not counseling services in churches cuz some people like realistically cannot afford it they see $105 an hour and they're like Ugh. like no yeah um can't. when I started touring again I switched to where I'm using an app called BetterHelp to where mm-hmm. it's kind of like um you set a schedule just like you would with normal therapists and mm-hmm. but you could do it via FaceTime uh, through their app yeah. Throughout the whole thing. And that just works for me with being in a different city every day. It's like you can't really keep a realistic schedule with your therapist. And I've gotten so much better about talking openly about the vulnerable pieces that come with mental health. Like, yes, I take medication. Yes, I struggle with anxiety. Yes, I've struggled with panic. But What's different now is I'm learning how to manage it. Like for me, when I start having a panic attack, I'll first say that CBD products are not of Satan either. They are great. Like it can help tame a panic attack. Um, But the biggest, biggest thing that helped me out is something so simple. And it's only Mm -hmm. three steps and they all involve the number seven. You breathe in for seven seconds, you hold it for seven seconds, you let it go. Just feel the negative energy coming out of you. Make it, and if you're against meditation because you think it's some kind of foreign religion um, practice, think about it as this. You're sitting in peace in prayer to Jesus, Mm-hmm. And you're just breathing. You're focusing on what's around you. You're focusing on why you shouldn't be anxious right now. And you're just clearing your mind. And mm-hmm. I guarantee you, if you start your day off with that simple step of just breathing, breathe in for seven seconds, hold it for seven seconds, let it go. Make your bed. When you get home, you'll see that nice clean bed. And it instantly tells mm-hmm. you tomorrow is going to be a good day because I'm going to get some good sleep tonight. Make That's the right. bed. Um, yeah. Breathe. Do a devotional, take time for yourself, make it a point to wake up a little bit earlier and be like, okay, like you don't have to rush. Like if you start your day off rushing, you're going to be clouded and all over the place. And that may not be for everyone else, but 
this kid, <laughs> if I get started rushing, the whole day is going to go by so slow and I'm just going to feel rushed all day long. So taking yeah. those extra steps to pour into me, that's free. That's free mm-hmm. advice. That's free advice that, I mean, that may be all you need for overcoming your mental health. Everyone is different. But like mm-hmm. you said, you got to treat it as a fever. Mm-hmm. It's something that needs to be addressed. And therapy has such a weird stigma attached to it, which I don't understand. It's like um, you see these Netflix series like 13 Reasons Why and Us, and they have these weird therapy scenes on it that are unrealistic. Yes. And it's like only crazy people go to therapy. Like Joe on you was killing people and going to see a therapist and ended up doing like it was a whole thing. Like it's mm-hmm. it's the negative perception comes from entertainment. I hate right. to say And I will also say nothing against the Southern Baptist Convention. I grew up Southern Baptist. A lot of the Southern Baptist churches that I've attended or spoken at are very weird when it comes to mental health on openly Mm -hmm. talking about, okay, you're struggling with anxiety. You don't have enough faith. You didn't come to the Sunday brunch, like random things. And it's just simply not true. And it goes back into what gospel are you preaching? Right. Like if your theology is solid and on point, you'll understand that mental health is your health. If you're mm-hmm. taking Advil, if you're taking a NyQuil, like whatever you take for your health, mental mm-hmm. health has the word health in it for a reason. It's not, right. you may not be throwing up, but I also know embedded in mental health, some people do throw up. The Absolutely. panic can make you throw up, eating disorders. Mm-hmm. There's so many levels to it. But with all that being said, Where can someone start right now in their community? One simple step for you, it was just bringing it up boldly in a conversation (laughs) like, hey, are you calling to ask or start about this? And he's like, no, no, let's talk about it. What could that simple step be for that person that doesn't have any previous experience with mental health and they want to make a difference in their community? What could a step that they could take today right now, what could they do? This is going to sound absurdly simple. Everything does. (laughs) No, I mean like absurd, but here's the simplest step that I think you could start with. If you have absolutely no experience and this is brand new for you, I would encourage you if you're on some form of social media to connect with therapists on social media, particularly ones who love Jesus. And usually you'll know because in their bio line, they'll say something like, like my bio line says something like, um, you know, passionate about the church's leadership and mental health, going back to what I said, like, I don't think we should just be talking about it. I think we should be the ones doing the research with the PhDs. We should be out front. We should be the ones leading the rest of our country on the mental health research being done on how to best care for people, best practice people, best practices with people with mental health. And it should be coming from the church, both for believers and non-believers alike like our, like our counseling center. Um, but if you have no experience yet, connect with some of those people on social media, because a lot of what they post, and I'm telling you, I I told you like, that's really simple, but a lot of what they post is on the integration of our faith and our mental health so that you can start learning in little clips in little tiny nuggets how those two things are very biblical, how those two things do interact and align so beautifully. And if you've never heard it from your church, you've never heard it from the pulpit, then starting there is good just to kind of feed your mind with more accurate and 
um, faithful, you know, God loving information about mental health. I think you could start there. Um, I think where my mind went initially was reach out to the pastor Mm. or to some of the leadership at the church and kind of ask them what, what their thoughts are, what their heart is on the topic of mental health Um, and offer maybe, you know, hosting a group or starting a discussion or something like that. Sure. The reason I didn't say that initially is because you do have to have some training, I think, to be able to handle that well. You don't want to just throw someone in with no experience yeah. into like being a support group leader. Yeah. Um, but if you follow some people on Instagram, if you start to read blogs, if you do a little bit of your own research, if you reach out to one of those people on Instagram, because that's how we met, right? I yeah. reached out yeah. to you. Yeah. I sent you a message and I said, Hey, I love your, I love what you're doing and your vision and your podcast. I'd love an opportunity to speak with you right yeah. now. We're speaking. Yeah. The world can be a such, such a smaller place if you just put yourself out there. Yeah. Um, so, but if you like research a little bit how to facilitate discussion groups or how to facilitate, you know, support groups, things like that, you can absolutely start one of those for your church. It would be free for you, free for them, um, and kind of gets that ball rolling, gets that discussion going. Yeah. And like, I'm no expert when it comes to mental health, but as we see, like, even in this interview, I surround myself with people who are, um, Mm -hmm. you're the second, uh, even female counselor that's been on here. Um, Mm. Brittany Moses was on a few weeks ago and Mm -hmm. she's just got so much wisdom and she's even just made a global statement on like the church and mental health from a faith Mm -hmm. perspective. And you're doing the same thing. Like Mm -hmm. God can use everybody where they are right now. And it's like, I'm not an expert. I'm currently taking a course through this organization called heart support. It's a master class, and it's, um, I think it's a year long and we meet twice a month via Facebook. They have like a live and they'll have speakers come in and it's really for those people that want to start right where they are. But even though I've been talking about mental health and anxiety and just everything in depth for years now, I'm refreshing myself and even accepting that like, I don't know everything. If someone Mm -hmm. comes up to me with a gun to their head, I don't, I wouldn't know how to handle that. It's like, Oh, stop. Like, but you can't overreact like that. You show people the humanity that's in them and you remind them of that. We're all human. We all have issues, but we do have a God that loves us. And added on top of that, there's someone that is in a church that is a counselor that would love to walk you through this. And if they're not in your church right now, I think Alex is going to make it happen. (laughs) You like, I don't know what book podcast platform God's building, but it Mm. like, even if it just starts here, like that next Mm -hmm. step, I commend you for taking, because a lot of people have these ideas. And like you said, your dad was very entrepreneurial and like mine was too. Like I started a clothing brand called fear is a liar to kind of be, um, an outspoken way for me to talk about anxiety, depression, financial distress. Fear can be classified as a lot of different things. I'm not the first person to say fear is a liar. I'm definitely not the last, but it's just a very bold but vague statement of like, okay, mental health is huge. Fear is mm-hmm. a liar. People read it and they can instantly instantly relate with something. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I walk through the airport, somebody's like, I either I like that song or I struggle with anxiety. Thank you for wearing that. It reminded me that I'm not alone in this. Yeah. Um, and we're able to open up and talk about like, 
whenever I fly through Hartsville Jackson, there is like I think it's called Express Spa, and they've got the best masseuses in there. And hey. um, the airport used to be a very scary place for me, uh, mm. for someone that struggles with panic. So I found a way to bring some normalcy to it and something to look forward to. Like I'm running through the TSA pre-check line to get my massage before I get on the plane. Um, and good just, idea. Yeah. Just like uh, the airport is stressful. I don't care who you are. Yes. I earlier this year, I was flying three to four times a week and I got used to it, but it, it's always busy. It's always, somebody's always stressed either working there or like trying to skip line to meet their flight. And it's like, that's fine. But there's also this little resort planted in most of the concourses where you can go and it's 50 to $120, which is expensive. But if it helps you be able to do what God's called you to do it's an investment yourself. And I believe in investing in yourself. I know that there has been times even recently where I've invested every single cent that I have in fears a liar or Trevor talks or these ideas that could be nothing, but could also change your life. I've had moments where I didn't know where I was going to buy like pay for my mortgage for the next month. Mm. Like, but I made that investment and God made it happen. So if anybody's listening to this, just like Alex did invest in your calling, invest by, it doesn't even have to be financially, mentally speak it into existence. Like whatever you got to do, connect with people, networking, reach out to them on Instagram. It obviously works. Um, Absolutely. Instagram, Facebook, and even finances are a tool if you don't let them run you. A yeah. lot of people can get caught up in the social media rat race, wanting to have a hundred thousand followers here and have a verified check mark. Who cares? Like <laughs> once you turn your phone off, that reality is gone. Look at That's what's right. in front of you right now. What are you going to be doing for the next 20 years? Is Facebook going to be here in 10 years? So what you build your platform on there and then it goes away. No, you start building an email list off of it or you have direct access to get mm-hmm. in touch with them. You find, I feel like good entrepreneurs and people that want to get into it need to realize this up front. It's all about how you're investing and branching out. You can't Mm -hmm. stay in the same spot, even if it's comfortable. And even for anxiety, I have to be doing something all of the time. Like I got to stay busy. So Mm. for me, when it comes down to going through therapy, I have cycles of where we'll do heavy therapy, which I did EMDR. I think is what it's called. EDMR um, therapy. Yeah. EMDR. I went through that the first time and that's where my breakthrough came. God used Mm. that to heal me and I still struggle. um, But I can tolerate it and learn from it now. And it was a life change for me. Yeah. And it's going to be a life change for a lot of other people. Yeah. And what would your closing statement be for this show? What would, what would your call to action be for that person that's listening to this? Like I want to make a change, whether it's within myself or helping share this light with other people, what would that be? That's a big question. Um, What's been on my heart, like what I really want to share is um, if you are a member of a church, if you have a family member who works for a church, if you know anyone that goes to a church and just we start with churches because that's where we're starting. Right. But it could be it could be anywhere. Um, Bring this up to them. Mm. Bring this conversation up to this person who has a leadership role in a church and say, is this something that you've thought about? Is it something that you know much about? Is it something that you care about? Do you think, like, can you imagine in 10 years from now, your church having a clinical counseling center Mm -hmm. inside the walls of the church? 
by the way, the reason I think this can be so powerful is we have believers, we have non-believers, we have people who have never set foot in a church, we have people of different faith identities all together mm. who come to us for clinical mental health care. And they're coming into the walls of a church. So, and the fu- funny thing that I usually say is like, well, the jig is up. They're coming into a church. They know that at some point we're probably going to bring up their spiritual life at least because that's a part of, of who they are, our spiritual life. There's so much research that talks about how important it is to have a spiritual life for your mental health. Mm. So we're going to bring it up. We're going to talk about it. But whether that bec- that person becomes a believer isn't really our responsibility. It's not at all our as therapist responsibility. Sure. But what we're doing is we're showing our community, whether they're believers or not in Jesus mm. or not, yeah. um, that the church is safe. And the church is relevant, especially Mm. for young people who are seeing that the world is taking better care of them and their mental health than their church is. And for for a lot of churches, we're seeing that we're losing our young people because why in the world would they continue to bring themselves back to a place that continues to sort of keep their head in the sand and continues to maybe even just accidentally hurt Mm. people with mental illness, right? I don't think they realize they're doing it, but it's happening over and over and over again inside the church. Sure. So having a clinical mental health center inside the church shows the entire community that we care about you regardless of who you are or, or sure. what your faith identity is. Right. Sure. And so my, my big thing is um, if you know anyone that works for a church, if you're a part of a church, ask them if that's something they would consider mm. and then um, reach out to me. And I'm sure, you know, I'll give you my, um, my Instagram handle and my email and stuff, please get in contact with me. I'm very approachable, very reachable, but get in contact with me and connect us. And I can talk about how to very, very simply make that happen in the church. Um, And the big, the the vision really is like, if you Trevor were to move to a different state or something and, and find that somebody goes to a church and you're kind of investigating churches, can you imagine going to that person? Let's say you have kids at the time. You, could you imagine going to that person and saying, hey, does your church like have anything for youth? Does your church do anything for youth at all? Is that a thing? Like, because we have some youth in our family and mm. we just want to make sure that the church would like cover that in some way. Sure. Does your church have anything for youth? Right. Like hearing that kind of sounds silly because I can almost imagine the person responding, like sort of scratching their head, like, yeah, because because we're a church. And that's what the church, like, it's incredibly important that the church reaches young people so that they have the majority of their life knowing their identity in Jesus rather than having to learn it way later. Right. Mm -hmm. So in the same way that you'd scratch your head, if somebody asked if your church did anything for youth, my ultimate vision is that in 15 years from now, if people said, does your church have a clinical counseling center in it? We would scratch our head and be like, yeah, because we're the church and that's what the church does. We care about you at a foundational mindful level. And we put professionals in our building to take care of you when you need it. Of course. Yeah. That's where the church. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Miss Alex Thompson. You can find her on Instagram at, at Alexandra Thompson underscore LCSW. And you can also get more information on what she's doing at her church at cumberlandchurch.org slash counseling. Alex, it's been so awesome to talk to you. I'm super excited 
for people to finally hear this and be able to follow you on your journey and maybe even get connected with your mission. So thank you so much for just lending your voice to us and letting us learn from you and just hopefully overcome some objections as a result of you taking the time out of your day to be a part of this episode. So again, greatly appreciate you. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.